We are very pleased and honored to introduce Mr. William Brocklong to the first episode here on Homeland, the podcast. Let me provide just a short bio of his background. He was confirmed by the United States Senate as the administrator for the Federal Emergency Management Agency this past June. For more than 16 years, Brock has been deeply engaged within the emergency management and public health preparedness disciplines at all levels of government. His tenure has included being the executive vice president at Haggerty Consulting, which is where we first met, served as the director of Alabama's Emergency Management Agency under Governor Bob Riley, and prior to his service at the Alabama Emergency Management Agency, Brock held positions both within the public and private sectors. These include FEMA, Georgia's Emergency Management Agency, the National Emergency Management Association, and the Central United States Earthquake Consortium. His expertise includes strategic emergency operations planning and exercising, evacuation, school safety, recovery management, and response logistics. He is a graduate of Appalachian State University, both for his undergraduate and graduate degrees. And I'd say closer to our hearts, he attended the Naval Postgraduate School Center for Homeland Defense and Security's Executive Leadership Program. Now, I'd like to please welcome Mr. Brock Long. Great, thank you. Uh, it's an honor to lead this agency and be with you today. And uh, I want to thank you for your service out there, most recently on the Thomas fires that we've been supporting uh, here recently. So it's been, a, been an unprecedented first six months, that's for sure. That sort of brings us right into why I wanted to talk with you today. You know, what we used to have is this one catastrophic incident that you would see maybe once in a lifetime or years apart. And one that pops into my mind is Hurricane Katrina, where we had this catastrophic incident and multiple agencies responded and supported efforts of trying to save lives and, and restore the environment back to, to something that was tenable for, to move people back into. What we're seeing today, though, is a little different than that, very different from that. And just over the last several months, we've had multiple hurricanes from Harvey to Irma and, and into Maria. We've had wildfires that have spread the entire Western United States and Montana's experienced some of the largest acreages ever burned in California. As we just mentioned, the Thomas fire, we're experiencing one large fire after another and which has been really taxing our system. And what I'm wondering from you, is FEMA able to continue on the path that it is right now and continue to help manage all these major disasters? Or more clearly, what is FEMA's role in disaster response and recovery? You know, Frank, our traditional role, that's a great question. First of all, our, our traditional role, you know, and, and by law, by, by staff, if I wanted to sum this up by the Stafford Act, I mean, we do two things. We coordinate the firepower of the federal government down through a governor, ultimately to the incident command level at the local level when called upon or when a local and state jurisdiction's capability or capacity has been exceeded. Second thing we do is we, we coordinate a tremendous amount of grant funding. So, for example, this fiscal year alone, based on the unprecedented hurricane season and I believe it's the first and third worst fires California's seen in their history, we've grant funded you know, almost $44 billion down to these four events, the California wildfires, Harvey, Irma, and Maria. An unprecedented amount of money has gone down in a very quick time frame. I personally believe that the agency did a lot to coordinate life safety and mass care. 
we're continuing to work around the clock to facilitate recovery. But I think that what we've seen is is that you know disaster response and recovery is far greater than just what FEMA does. It does take the whole community, which we talked about, and it's from FEMA all the way down to neighbor helping neighbor. Each one of these events, from the California wildfires to uh, Hurricane Maria, could be considered catastrophic in their own right. Much less, you know, the, the unfortunate thing that's really taxed and stressed the system, not just FEMA, but the EMAC system, everything that we hold near and dear in emergency management has been truly stressed because of the rapid succession of these events. I personally believe that we need to refocus on what is true capacity of uh, local governments versus state governments versus where FEMA is needed. What I mean by that is, is that before Harvey started, we were actively deployed to over 20 different states working multiple disasters before Harvey. And so a, a large portion of our workforce or disaster workforce was deployed in many other states. So when Harvey hit and the magnitude of Harvey, we had to pull people off of smaller disasters and put them on the bigger disasters. You know, and then Irma occurred and then obviously Maria and the California wildfires, everybody knows what happens there. I think it's time for us to refocus what is the role of FEMA. And should we concentrate on every major disaster that's declared, or should we concentrate on the big events? And if you look at the statistics, 75% of the disasters that we've seen are typically under $40 million events. Well, we can easily get to a point where we can grant fund $40 million to state governments and local jurisdictions. Does FEMA really need to be on scene for a $40 million or less event, or should FEMA really start to refocus on the 25% disasters, which is 40 million or greater. And I really believe that we've got to be careful about the smaller events and taxing ourselves on many smaller events and the sheer number of smaller events that we have to be. I think the nation would be served better if we could get to a point where we could focus on the much larger events like the season that we had. Wow. I love it. It almost seems as if when you start out with FEMA handling the big disasters and then one disaster after another occurs, it almost seemed to become almost automatic that FEMA would show up regardless of the size. And what you're talking about almost is just reshaping or going back to what FEMA should be doing is to be able to support both local and state governments in their efforts to mitigate the problems. Is that is that what you're saying? Well, I'm thinking that you know, specifically that maybe we're over-obligated when it comes to the staffing pattern that we put out for majority of disasters. What I would like to be able to do is, for the disasters that are under $40 million, can we get to a point where we set up virtual joint field offices where FEMA can rapidly send funding down to support the incident without having to send a lot of staff to be able to support that so that if the earthquake goes off in California or New Madrid occurs and the low to no notice event occur, that a majority of my staff will be able to roll and focus on the billion dollar events, the multi hundred, you know, multiple hundred million dollar events to billion dollar events. You know, right now we, you know, we're actively, it's not just Harvey, Irma, Marie and the California wildfires that we're serving. We're serving over 30 different disasters right now as we speak. Uh, and at some point, even FEMA is tapped out when it comes to being able to service the state and local governments correctly. And we have to have an honest conversation of, you know, hey, governor, hey, local elected official, are you taking your emergency management program seriously? Are you fully funding them? Do you need to hit the reset button on the amount of staff that you're dedicating, trained staff that you're dedicating to your local and state agencies? Because 
what I've learned over the last uh, six months is that we need people, not stuff. We need more trained people in the field of emergency management to respond to these types of disasters. If I'm looking at different approaches to solving problems, a lot of times we notice people are doing a reactive approach to, to doing this. This almost sounds like you're doing a proactive or appreciative inquiry and building capacity within the system that's already existing. Is that more in line with what you're saying? Uh, yeah. You know, but I also think that FEMA's got a lot of work to do when it comes to streamlining what it is we do as well. So one of the biggest problems that we face in this country when a big disaster occurs is that recovery's fragmented. So you, you roughly have, I think GAO put out a report at one point where it said that 17 different federal government agencies provide some type of financial resources down to a state or ultimately the local sub-grantee level when it comes to disaster recovery. Well, how do we streamline the disaster recovery support that is provided by federal government agencies so that when it comes down, a governor or a mayor can quickly understand, here's what I'm entitled to, these are my recovery goals, this is the funding that I need, and then put it to work to do the greatest good. And when the funding comes down, the problem is, is that FEMA has standards on its funding, HUD has standards on its funding, SBA has standards on their loans. So there's different rules, there's different inspections that are needed, there's different processes for each one of these different pots of money. How do we get it down to a streamlined process to put all of the funding to work to do the greatest good? I think that's where as a nation we've got to figure out ways to consolidate and make recovery less fragmented and streamlined. That sort of leads me into my next question, and, and that is what will it take to get there? Can you do it alone as the administrator? Are you going to need Congress to pass legislation? Is there a reworking of the Stafford Act? Is there a consolidation of different agencies with their funding streams of having a common message or common requirements for distribution of monies? So there are things that I can do without the help of others. For example, one of the initiatives that we're going to be pushing forward is, I've never understood why FEMA doesn't have people in the field all day, every day, and a part of the Blue Sky Day discussion. And what I'm talking about is, is that we're going to start pushing forward what I call state integration teams. I'm going to start permanently embedding people, a multidiscipline staff in state agencies, where we can review and approve things like mitigation plans to where we can help you design integrated exercises to where we can help you set up pre-event contracts correctly or provide technical grant assistance on the fly right there we're part of the day-to-day -day -day discussion with these state agencies. And if we can get that to work initially, then we start to move into the larger UASIs like LA, and we start to embed with you guys. The FBI has people all over, the, all over America. Why can't FEMA have people all over America as well? And so those are some of the things that I can do to help improve integration. I can help state and local governments start to overcome their planning gaps and their process gaps by providing them technical expertise out into the field, which is something that we're going to move on here in hopefully February and pilot that. We're going to start pushing that out. And then there's the other side where it does take an act of Congress. Um, I think that to, to reduce the complexity and streamline recovery, it is going to take acts of Congress. One of the things that people need to watch in this third supplemental is doing pre-disaster mitigation up front rather than in the disaster recovery phase. So right now, the Stafford Act, you've basically got to get hit. The community's got to get hit to be able to access millions and millions of dollars of post-disaster mitigation funding called Section 404 HMGP Mitigation Funding, okay? 
this third supplemental, by us working and advocating to do more resilience up front, the third supplemental that may be coming out that's in the news at this point may actually change the Stafford Act to move that 404 mitigation funding up front to allow a permanent pot of money that local and state jurisdictions can go after to actually execute mitigation plans rather than having to access it by getting hit and having a bad disaster. You know, there's a couple things where the changes in the Stafford Act are coming, in my opinion, and I've been very vocal about that in my congressional hearings, but, you know, we might see a real big change in this third supplemental that could fly under the radar screen that could be a huge change to the industry. With that, in trying to be more proactive and going out and helping uh, develop and identify gaps in certain jurisdictions, it sounds like you're really looking at building capacity at the local level and offering the support to be able to move forward and building that capacity. Is that what we're looking at, more of a culture of preparedness? Well, I mean, yeah, I want to increase the efficiencies of the agency. I mean, uh, you know, I think there's things that we can, we can delegate authorities and capability out in the field rather than having to send everything back up to a regional office or ultimately headquarters. You know, I, I like most firefighters or most emergency managers, I believe that incident command decisions and, you know, day-to-day decisions should be made closest to the where the incident is or where the action is rather than all the way up here in 500 C Street. And I think that by basically developing these state integration teams that will start to be able to increase the efficiencies, make quicker decisions, and, and provide better customer service as well as create truly integrated concepts when it comes to responding to future big events. I think that's really great, especially uh, since we at the local level or the local government level understand what's happening here and right now. And having that ultimate support from above, uh, and I'm just looking at an organizational chart or above and to the state and to the federal level, it will make our jobs, I believe, a lot easier because we'll be able to custom tailor what we're doing to our local jurisdictions. One thing you did say a bit earlier, you'd mentioned about the whole community. How do you see the whole community approach integrating in your direction that you're looking for FEMA to go towards? Well, the whole community approach is what's necessary to actually have the right response and recovery. You know, and, and, and you know, the whole community is needed, needed in disaster resilience. I don't believe that FEMA holds the key to the nation becoming resilient. I believe that local governments, you know, through proper land use planning, building codes, and that, and, and building their own capabilities is what holds, you know, is the key to, re, to future resilience. I'll never be able to hand out enough grants. So if I, but if I can put out pre-disaster mitigation grants, for example, and then we can get local mayors and local uh, count, city councils and county councils and county commissions to start passing land use planning and building codes. You start collectively making a dent in the resilience needs, okay? You can't just look to one element of government or one agency within the government to be able to be responsible for things like resilience or response. You know, and, and we have to build the capabilities at the local and state level as much as we can, particularly when it comes to the low to no notice events. You know, FEMA does a really good job, in my opinion, on logistics. If we have a five-day notice for a hurricane, if it's an earthquake and a very sizable one, then logistics, you know, we've got to make sure that local jurisdictions and state governments have their own ability to do vendor-managed commodity logistics, securing or procurement and distribution, because FEMA may not be able to get there for a while. You know, it's a partnership at all levels of the community and including our citizens. I believe that we need to rethink 
ready campaign, and we need to look at a culture, a true culture of preparedness. I believe that the ultimate true first responder is the citizen. In many cases, it takes first responders, the official first responder, many minutes, you know, several minutes to respond to, to an active shooter event or to tornadoes and different things. And so we've got to get back to the basics of actually not looking at citizens as a liability, but as part of the whole community concept that we need during the response. In many cases, they may be the first line of defense in helping someone stay alive until the official first responder is there. And so what are we doing to give them more training and more understanding of what role they can play? Because citizens, again, are the true first responders. You know, so that, that's where the whole community piece comes in. But as far as going through, you know, what we've seen, uh, a, a couple things resonate as well that we don't spend enough time on. You know, with the most recent California wildfires, survivable communications. Not just emergency communications, but also alert and warning of the public. The vendor-owned communications capabilities. We're desensitized to our iPhones more and more, or our, our digital technology more and more every day. So how are our private industry, as well as part of this whole community, coming in and building more redundant and resilient communications platforms to make sure that we can continue to talk to citizens through all phases, despite the magnitude of the disaster or the type of the disaster? We lost communications in Puerto Rico. We lost them in the California wildfires. How do we prevent that from happening in the future? You know, that's one of the areas. The other thing is, is that national continuity plans, like emerging threats, like North Korea, it's time to dust off some of the old civil defense plans and really get serious about continuity of government plans again, making sure that continuity of operations is a part of every phase of emergency management, and we start to instill continuity into every bit of what we do when it comes to mitigation all the way through the opportunities provided to us in recovery. We're learning a lot, Frank. It's really good to hear you say because uh, a lot of the work we did within my own organization on developing our, ca- our response plans, our department emergency plan, included several of those, those components, which would be our communications. We talked about our personnel and their families, and we also talked about our continuity of operations. At the local level, some agencies are already working on that, but to be able to get that support rather than trying to create something from scratch sounds really good, especially being able to get some funds that may support or technical expertise to be able to move forward with it. You did say one thing that I particularly really appreciate. If you look at the Madrid bombings or you go to Katrina or you go to Harvey, you don't see initially the firefighters or the police officers or EMS or the emergency manager out there rescuing neighbors. You see neighbors rescuing neighbors. I don't like utilizing the term of first responder for fire, EMS, law, and emergency management, because truly our first responders are our communities. And changing the term to emergency responder, I think that sort of separates those two. And for you to, to recognize that and put it out there, I think that puts a lot of value in the movement forward with FEMA in recognizing the value of our, our citizens. And I, I think that's, that's great. Moving on, what, what's next? What are you looking at that maybe the rest of the emergency management community may not be necessarily focused on, and maybe they perhaps they should be. I'll go back to the North Korea. You know, the threat of North Korea is very real, and a large part of what FEMA does is continuity of government, the National Continuity Program. When it comes to continuity of operations, I don't think a lot of the planning assumptions at the local and state levels line up with the federal government, and that we've got to. Make sure we understand how local elected officials and governors 
communicate with federal government leaders during a truly catastrophic event should an event like North Korea be realized. We've got a long way to go when it comes to not only doing the continuity of operations piece and energizing and synthesizing those plans at all levels, but also educating the public on the actions to take during these types of threats. So that's the whole other side of the world that we, we deal with. The other thing, too, is, is that we've learned some pretty harsh lessons in recovery housing. So housing is done differently for each one of the events. For example, Harvey was a flood where you might be able to do permanent housing construction to the house to get it back, you know, to get the house livable again. Whereas in the California wildfires like Coffee Park and Santa Rosa, everything's burned to the ground. Or in the Thomas fires, everything's burned to the ground. And the traditional housing concepts that we run don't necessarily work as well because it's a high cost area. And so we've got to rethink housing, our approach for recovery housing, we, you know, and realize that there's not a one-size-fits-all plan that's going to fit when it comes to recovery housing. We have got to sit there and get local governments and state governments the authority to purchase manufactured housing and, you know, to be able to, uh, if I could grant funding down to state and local governments to purchase their own capability when it comes to travel trailers and manufactured homes or, or recovery housing, and become a granting authority, I think that's the direction that we need to move. That's a change in the Stafford Act. So we're looking at how we better that and make it more, you know, more simplistic. But I'll, I'll stop there. I think this has been very informative, at least for me. The three main areas I was looking at trying to get information on, uh, you covered in depth, and I appreciate it. I'm hopeful that our alumni will uh, find this conversation enlightening, and this will be the start of... of uh, several different series or questions and interviews that we have in relations to emergency management. And I do appreciate your time and, and everything uh, you've been able to do for us today. All right, Frank. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. So there you have it. Mr. Brock Long, administrator of the Federal Emergency Management Agency, laying out his vision for FEMA's role in disaster planning, support, response, and recovery. I'd like to thank you for taking the time to join us here today. And I'd like to know what you thought about this show, its format, and if you have any suggestions for future guests. You can email us at info at chdsa.org. That's I-N-F-O at chdsa.org. That's on the association website. Also, I hope we can get to see many of you at Apex coming up here in just the next couple weeks in Monterey. For now... Thank you very much, and we'll see you next time.